Hey everyone, this is Patrick. Thanks for listening in. Quick background, my friend John and I have always fielded personal finance questions for our friends, so a few months ago, we decided to crowdsource topics and record ourselves addressing them. In this episode, we talk about which accounts to put your money into and in what priority, and then just past the 27-minute mark, we do Q&A for a few other questions you asked. Thanks, and enjoy. All right, so we are... (laughs) (laughs) our episode answering some personal finance questions before we dive into the actual content uh john do you want to first speak a little bit about why we're doing this or interested in uh, discussing personal finance yeah i think for both of us really we come from parents who were immigrants who didn't really give us much advice when it came to saving and where to put some of the money that we get and at least for me graduated college with like 40k in student debt and now having had paid that off i'm just still in the process of really figuring out where to allocate everything and it's been a fun journey so far and just looking forward to sharing what we've learned together in this process yeah so this definitely is not official financial advice obviously we don't work in finance but um we'll echo that sentiment of like you graduate, you work, you never, but none of us ever really take any courses in personal finance. We're fortunate enough to, you know, work in tech and make decent salaries, but no one ever tells you where to allocate your money, what types of accounts to put them into, uh, or explains why. So we're weird in that we like going online and reading about all the best practices and seeking out some of this information for ourselves. So we're just here to share some of our thoughts. What we're talking about today, uh, a lot of the questions boil down to where do I put my money, how much do I put in, and why? Uh, So we thought that it would be a good place to start to first talk about some of these best practices, and then also how we've adapted these best practices that we commonly find. And none of this is like exclusive knowledge. If you go on Reddit and search r slash personal finance, you'll see this in a lot more detail. Uh, But if you don't like reading long posts about personal finance, you can listen to us talk about it really quickly. And uh, we'll also be doing sort of a a lightning round Q&A at the end for some other questions that are related, but uh, we could save for future topics, but we want to quickly address. There's also some assumptions about the audience. Obviously, we're younger, we're not married, we're traditionally employed. So there will be edge cases like, you know, pensions that we have no experience in. But if you're listening to this, you're probably one of our friends. So (laughs) we'll probably be (laughs) probably in a Okay, so first we'll be talking about an overview of account priority. So what types of accounts to put your money in? And we'll talk about how you specifically allocate within these accounts more in a future episode. Uh, John, do you want to quickly introduce what's the model for prioritizing money placement? Yeah, so typically um, it's commonly recommended to have an emergency fund, uh, which you fill up and then you use your 401k, go up to the match, pay off any existing debt you have, whether that's a credit card debt, car loans, um, student debt, things like that. And then you put money into a Roth IRA or, or a backdoor Roth. Then you max out your 401k and you then put your excess money into a taxable brokerage account. And we'll go ahead and break these down one by one into more detail now. Yeah, so just to recap, emergency fund, 401k up until match, pay down debt, Roth IRA, and then 401k max, and then tactical brokerage. So starting with emergency fund, typically, I mean, the advice online is that you should have three to six months of very 
of expenses worth of very liquid assets. So in the case where you're in a medical emergency or some global pandemic strikes and you're unemployed or something and you can't, you need to be able to pay for rent and living expenses and food, so on and so forth for three to six months. How do you typically approach, like how much money do you have in your savings account? Uh, is this advice universal or some factors when you think about how much to have in liquid assets and also what does liquid assets mean? I think for me, I have about six months worth of rent slash spending saved set aside. Um, but for me, I don't have goals like saving for a house right now. And I think if you did have goals like that, that really changes how much you should be allocating on the side. In addition to that, um, I can speak for the both of us. We have family in the Bay Area. So in the event that there is a global pandemic and we no longer want to pay for San Francisco rent, we can always go home. Uh, that's definitely something that we both did. And that definitely allows for us to not necessarily need a large cushion, but I think it's it's still nice to have six months of rent generally set aside. Yeah, so uh, I do have more in my savings just because I'm considering buying a house in the near term. The market's kind of crazy for that right now. Yeah, I, I think that it's more optimal to be placing, if you wanna be maximizing your dollar to place as much money in uh, other assets like equity, for example, but it also can be affected by your your risk tolerance uh, if you're if you if you want to have more in your emergency fund so this is sort of a personal amount but three to six months is the guideline and then where do we put this money i think we both just use high yield savings accounts so if you're using like chase or bank of america and you're using those really crappy savings accounts with like 0.03 percent interest rate uh, you can move it to something like synchrony or ally or goldman sachs marcus which has a higher rate um, I think there's around like 0.5 right now. So it's pretty terrible right now, just given the macroeconomic situation, but it is still magnitudes better than your, you know, typical international bank savings account. Any thoughts on sort of where like liquid assets or anything else on emergency funds? Yeah, I think right now, technically, if you're not saving for anything, it's best to dump it into stocks. <laughs> That's my perspective. Um, I do have six months set aside, that being said, but right now savings rates, interest rates are very, very low. The government is basically telling you to put it into equities or something that yields more. So uh, that's that's how it feels like, but it's still, I think it's personally nice to have cash set aside in the event that, let's say the market crashes again, you can dump it into stocks or if you need to buy something in an emergency. Yep, that was emergency fund moving on to the Next bit, uh, employer-sponsored 401k up until match. So again, we're not talking about like 403s or pensions. What's what's the approach for 401ks and why do we specify, you know, why is it specified that it's up to match first? I think when it comes to 401ks, it's really important to see if you get an employer match. What that basically means is that your employer is giving you free money to put money set aside for retirement. So it, at times it's conditional though, uh, depends on your employer. For a lot of tech companies, I think they do match one-to-one. -one. So let's say you put $1,000 in your 401k, they'll match it one-to-one -one per dollar you put in up to a certain percentage. But there were companies like the first company I worked for, I think they did a half a dollar for every dollar I put in, but they wouldn't even match until I had worked there for a year. 
So in that case, it's probably better just to put money in another account or pay off debt in that instance, because I'm not getting a match. Why would I put money into my retirement account? Yeah. So the important thing to note is that, you know, this is step two, pretty high priority, but it is conditional on whether you get a match and the type of match. Um, employers will also offer traditional uh, and sometimes they'll offer Roth 401ks. We're not going to dive into which specifically is best for you. Uh, in this episode, just because that's a whole conversation in and of itself, you know, affected by how you anticipate your income will change and whether you think tax rates would go up in the future. Um, a major question on 401ks is like, actually choosing a fund. So when someone is saying, okay, well, you know, like at our previous job, when we worked together, there was 4% match. So I want to put at least 4% into my 401k. How do I choose which funds? I think it kind of depends. So whether or not, whatever fund you choose to pick, um, you're basically limited. So your HR team or your benefits team chooses the brokerage. So at my current company, we use Vanguard. Uh, my previous company where Patrick and I both worked, they used Fidelity. And your company is the one paying this brokerage for the selection. I think they negotiate overall rates that they have to pay um, to have this retirement account. But typically I think you're defaulted into a target date uh, retirement um, fund it's uh, pretty diversified, has bonds, stocks, a lot of different assets in there to make sure that as you get closer to retirement, they'll move your money into more safe bets. Yeah, so usually the default is like target retirement 2060, which assumes that you're aiming to retire in 2060. And since we're still you know, 40 years off, uh, it's going to be relatively weighted in stocks. And then as you age or as time passes, uh, it will automatically allocate more and more into bonds or less risky funds, just because as you get close to retirement age, typically the advice is to lower your uh, risk portfolio so it'll become safer over time with less volatility, but also less uh, targeted gains. This kind of raises the conversation of, well, okay, if that's what target retirement does, is that sufficient? Should I change to something else? And you know, diversification, how important is that? How do you allocate your funds in um, in your 401k? I'm 100% all in YOLO, S&P 500. <laughs> uh, I think bonds suck right now. The like the yields for bonds are terrible. Um, the government is basically, the government is literally telling us to go buy stocks. And I think with stocks, there's the highest growth. And in, in a retirement account, it's you're not expected to pull it out anytime soon. So just let it sit there, grow for 40 something years. I think if there's another large macro event in the economy that signals that we should be putting money into stock or bonds, I would go ahead and then reevaluate my current elections. But for now, I think stocks are the best. Um, I personally choose the S&P 500 one just because the expense ratio is also low. I think it's 0.03 or 0.04%. Whereas with the mm -hmm. target date retirement fund, I think the expense ratio is technically higher because it's a little more active that's also something yeah. to consider. I think like, I agree that, you know, target retirements are fine. And if you don't like looking at your funds or wanting to deal with it, just perfectly fine to just put 100% in there. And then the rebalancing is handled for you automatically. You know, if you do want to be a little bit more like optimizing about it, which uh, might not actually be optimizing, but if you want to set it manually, it's relatively simple to sort of set your own expense ratio. So if your target retirement is 90% stock and 10% bonds, you could just put 90% in your 
in like the S&P 500 fund that's available to your 401k, assuming that there is one, and then like 10% into whatever blended bond fund there is. And then you could modify this, you know, every couple of years or something. But yeah, the 401k is relatively uh, illiquid. So you're not able to withdraw from it easily, unlike the IRA, which we'll talk about later. I also have a much higher risk appetite. So I'm much more in stocks than uh, using any target retirement fund in my 401k as well. But again, this is personal. So the advice is generally to have diversified funds between bonds and stocks. And that percentage you can choose for yourself, or you can just have automatically uh, calculated based off of a target retirement fund. Yeah, I just want to add a quick tidbit why bonds are considered safer. They just crash less hard um, when there's a market correction. So stocks might crash, let's say 40% or so, and bonds might crash 10%. And in those cases, you would then pull money out of the bonds into the stocks. So that's how you basically rebalance your account. Cool. All right. So then the next one is just pay down high interest debts. Uh, how would you define you know, what high interest means? And there's always like the trade-off of if you have money, do you pay off debts or do you put it in the stock market or something else that might generate a higher yield percentage or gain percentage than, than the, the, the interest payment would be? So how do, you, how do you think about this? Um, definitely credit card debt. Um, for things like student loans, kind of depends on your interest rate and the size, overall size of the debt. So if you have like 100K in student loans and it's a 6% interest, that kind of adds up to quite a bit. <laughs> um, I think you need to do the math to figure out how much exactly you'd need to put in every month or every year to outweigh just dumping it into equities. I, but I think for me personally, I use what's called like the avalanche method. I hate having debt of any type and I just dump all my money into it until I get rid of it so that there's nothing floating over me. But I would say for credit card debt, come on guys, just please play it off. I think it's like 20, <laughs> 20 something percent interest. Like, come on guys. You're paying the minimum. <laughs> so don't, don't finance the, <laughs> don't pay the banks like that. Yeah. Just no, please. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Yeah. And then the reason why this is, you know, like, why aren't we just paying debts off first? Why is 401k like prioritized above that? Again, that's 401k if you have a match, which is essentially giving you free money. So it is important to capitalize on that. But if you have like massive amounts of credit card debt, then maybe you should consider paying that off and also changing your spending habits. <laughs> just because that will <laughs> pile up really quickly. Okay. So the one after this is contribute to an IRA. Uh, do you want to first introduce what exactly is an IRA? Yeah, an IRA is an individual retirement account. Uh, it's owned by yourself. It's not tied to an employer and you contribute into it every year. And right now I believe it's a $6,000 contribution limit. And unlike the 401k, you have access to a ton of funds actually. It's basically a taxable account. And I personally put more money into my Roth IRA than my 401k in the past. Uh, when I wasn't maxing my 401k, I would max out my Roth IRA prior to my 401k after I hit the match. Yep, so you want to put money into the 401k up until you get the match just for the free money, but then any additional investment money you want to first put into an IRA because as John mentioned, it's self-owned, it's not tied to an employer, only you contribute into it. So you're, uh, there's, your employer is not putting any mon money into it and you have access to a full fund selection. So whereas a 401k is limited depending on what your HR team negotiates, uh, sometimes they're suboptimal. Sometimes you don't have as many options. Um, within an IRA, you can basically choose whatever you want based on what the brokerage offers. Again, there's Roth and traditional. 
In this case, we will be a little bit opinionated and will generally recommend a Roth IRA over a traditional IRA, uh, especially for younger high earners, just because there is an income cutoff for contributing directly into a Roth IRA. And if you're above that sort of income threshold that you make more money than that limit, uh, you can't tax deduct your traditional IRA contrib contributions. So basically a traditional IRA is useless and is like a taxable brokerage. Now, so if you make over the income cutoff, you should use a backdoor. We'll defer on the details. That'll be a future episode. I have a lot of firsthand experience of messing up my, <laughs> my Roth initially or my Roth backdoor initially, which hopefully will save some folks the pain. Uh, the, the reason why I recommend all Roth IRA also is because it's easier to withdraw out of prior to retirement age. So 401k, you have to be like 59 and a half before you can even take money out of it without being penalized. I think a Roth IRA, you can contribute that you can withdraw the, con oh yeah, just a Roth IRA, you can withdraw the contributions out without any penalty at any point, and then you can withdraw the gains within like five years. So this is all really relevant, especially if you want to do fire, like financial independence, retire early, or if you just want to retire earlier than the current limits. But we will defer on fire as a broader topic until later as well, just because that's a whole conversation in and of itself. Anything to add on IRAs and why Roth? I think it's just important to add that, again, this is a retirement account. Um, I do know people who choose not to use this because they're like, well, I can't use the money till I'm like 60 or whatever. I'm going to be old and a boomer. But at the end of the day, it's like <laughs> only $6,000. Um, oh, I say that as only, but it's great in that with a Roth IRA, any gains you make isn't taxed. So you pay taxes now upfront, but let's say it compounds 10% every year. I don't know how much that would be by the time you're 60, but you pull that out and it's all tax-free. And I think that's like the huge power of the Roth IRA. There's no other account that would get you that. If you're a degenerate and you want to like YOLO in your Roth IRA, you can do that too. I did that a little bit low key when there was the AMC boom or whatever. But um, it's great in that you make gains now and you're not taxed on it. And so I would just recommend everyone really have a Roth IRA before making like a for fun taxable account in Robinhood or something like that. Yeah. So the IRAs should definitely be prioritized above a taxable account just because there is tax sheltering. Whether you go traditional or Roth, there's tax sheltering either upon contribution or upon withdrawal. We just personally prefer Roth, but that's because it offers earlier withdrawal options uh, in case you do need that money or in case you want to retire early. So backdoor Roth and mega backdoor Roth, which I've done both of, uh, we will defer as well. Those are just ways of getting money into your Roth IRA if you don't, if you aren't able to contribute directly because you're over that cutoff, or if you want to funnel additional money through your 401k. Uh, but we can talk about that another time. Anything else on IRAs? No, I think that's generally it. Um, with IRAs, you kind of open them up similar to taxable accounts, which we're going to talk about in just a bit, but you open them up yep. in any of your general brokers. So like things like Charles Schwab, Fidelity, Vanguard, um, TD Ameritrade. I think those those all support Roth IRAs or IRAs yep. in general. Okay, so then the next step. So thus far, it's been emergency savings fund, 401k up until match, paying debts, maxing out your IRA. If you still have more money left over, then you put more money into your 401k uh, up until the contribution limit, which would be 19,500, I believe, currently. And the reason why you know you prioritize the IRA over the 401k is for the aforementioned reasons of having more fund access, having more flexibility, withdrawing. So after, if you still have more money 
after vaccinating those accounts, congratulations, but then also the next step would be taxable accounts or taxable brokerages. So what does this refer to? It's basically any account that doesn't have tax benefits or tax sheltering like the IRA or 401k. And there are ways to maximize tax efficiency based on what you're buying. So bonds versus like stocks and dividends and things like that. But ultimately you just choose a broker similar to the IRA. I recommend using Vanguard, Schwab, Fidelity. Those are the largest brokers. And I think during the recent GameStop fiasco where Robinhood uh, stopped people from trading uh, GameStop, Schwab, Fidelity, Vanguard, they didn't, I don't believe they placed any restrict restrictions because they had the funds to cover um, that stock. So if you want to YOLO trade often and you want a reliable brokerage, then I would recommend going to those three. Uh, well, even if you don't want to YOLO trade, <laughs> you recommend big three. So like when it comes to choosing a broker, one is just what is more convenient. So it might be just choose if you you have if you have a four one k with four uh, with fidelity already, it might be easier to just also use fidelity for your uh, IRA. So you have one login and you know one way to access all of your funds. Makes it a little bit easier to manage. I personally use Vanguard, even though my employer's four one k is in Prudential, and then I my previous four one k was in Fidelity, so I rolled over those accounts. But yeah, the the big brokers work, and then. If you do want, you know, really easy, if you want to set aside some play money to uh, gamble on whatever trendy stocks there are, you know, Robinhood and like Webull, and there's like some newer ones that are essentially taxable brokerages, but just mobile first and have really nice UIs that are gamified to incentivize you to continue trading. Uh, those are also taxable brokerages. But if you just have money that you want to set aside for a longer term, you can use any of the ones that we suggested previously. One big question that has been asked uh, multiple times is what about robo-investors like Wealthfront and Betterment? What are your thoughts on these? Oh my God. Um, I've used one in the past. So I used Wealthfront in the past and it was really easy to get started with it. I think back then I didn't really know where to put my money and being able to just have that done for me was really great. But then you come to realize you can literally do the same thing that they do without paying the 0.25% admin fee that I think they charge. And in addition to that, they choose some pretty shitty uh, <laughs> indexes. <laughs> I think a lot of the robo investors, they place a huge emphasis on international and emerging market funds. I'm not gonna get into why those are not the greatest right now, but basically with those robo investors, to sum it up, you can do exact everything that they're doing for you in like 15 minutes or less. And you also can't choose the type of funds that they invest in. And right now, I don't really think the funds that they're choosing really maximize your gains, especially mm -hmm. just too many international stocks. The international markets are not doing well, at least right now. So I would not recommend using RoboInvestor. Just take the time to figure out what exactly they're picking if you want to follow their um, investment thesis and do it yourself. They literally yeah. choose so Vanguard funds and things like that. So really easy and it's publicized to be fair i think the like admin fee is waived under like 10k or depending on how many people you refer mm -hmm. so there isn't an additional fee but as people that you know like having a little bit more control over finances for those robo investors typically you answer like 10 questions and then they assign you a risk portfolio and then automatically invest your money based on that i also had wealth fund for a bit they had a nice ui and they have nice like graphs and stuff but 
the fund selection I disagreed with. I think technically, I'm using air quotes, it is like really diversified. Um, but again, you could create those same diversifications if you wanted just by selecting a couple of funds. And again, we're not getting into fund selection, but you can always search Bogleheads, B-O-G-L-E-H-E-A-D-S, uh, or just do like a simple three fund portfolio or two fund portfolio where you have a stock market fund, a bond fund, maybe an international fund if you wanted to, and create that in Vanguard and Fidelity and Schwab and whatever brokerage yourself and save on uh, some of the uh, additional operating expense fees. Anything else on robo-investors or taxable accounts in general? Please no robo-investors, guys. I will literally, <laughs> I will literally tell you what to pick if you message me. <laughs> Just don't use robo investors. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, note that like existing, they are popular for a reason, and you know they make finance more accessible. So I think the the traditional brokerages have ways of like assigning portfolio balance. You know that you want seventy percent U.S. stock, twenty percent bonds, ten percent international stock. You can just assign those, and the auto balancing can be done as well. Uh, so we wouldn't recommend it. Obviously, personal finance is personal, so if you really want to, you can put it in, but feel free to reach out for <laughs> some guidance if you want some more details on uh, on fund selection, or we can do that in a future episode. Okay, so just to summarize, emergency fund, 401k up until match, pay off debt, uh, max out an IRA, max out your 401k, and then put money in taxable accounts. Any other notes or commentary on like what do you use the system fully? Is there any tweaking that you've done that you want to call out? I more or less do this. Um, back before I was budgeting a little more and couldn't max out my 401k, I would still prioritize the Roth. I would prioritize the matching. And that was the time when I was trying to pay off my student loans too. So once I hit my match, my 401k match on my Roth IRA, I was putting the rest of my money into my student loans. And once that was paid off, I started to focus on matching maximizing my 401k so it's that mm -hmm. was how i tackled it so i follow the same thing uh, or i follow this as well i think last year i definitely had a lot more to save since i moved back home and with covid expenses went down pretty significantly so i experimented with like i used mega backdoor i did Roth backdoor for the first time um, but overall the structure makes sense and also gain you a lot of money in the long term like in the beginning i didn't really know difference between traditional versus Roth. Uh, I like messed up my rollover initially. And, you know, even just missing one year of contributions leads to a lot of missed gains when you factor in compound interest and also the tax benefit of retirement account. And, and again, if you need to reference this, just reach out to us, we can send you a link or you can check on like Reddit has r slash personal finance has a good diagram as well, but it follows the same model. Okay. So that's the system. That's the account prioritization. I'm running out of time, so we'll just quickly do some Q&A, like lightning round of Q&A from some other one-off questions that were asked that are related to this. One is um, HSAs or health savings accounts. What's, what's up with these and how do you value these in this, or HSAs in the, this sort of stack rank of accounts? I personally use one, um, but that's because I want to deduct I believe it's 5,500 for my taxes. The main benefit is for those who don't expect to go to the doctor a lot because with the HSA, you pay quite a bit when you go to the doctor 
I had one last year when I had knee surgery and everything. So I hit my deductible pretty quickly and it was a pretty high deductible. Um, um, and I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, the other types of in health insurance programs are like HMO, PPO, things like that. And those yep. have smaller deductibles. So if you visit the doctor frequently, those might be better for you. Um, but the HSA, think of it as another um, tax sheltered account where you can set aside money to pay off bills in the future. It was intended to be like use money for health payments, but people sort of use it as an investment vehicle because it's triple tax sheltered. It's uh, not taxed when you contribute. It's not taxed when you when it grows within the account. It's not taxed when you withdraw it. Which, when we're old, we will all need healthcare expenses. Although I did find out recently that California state tax is not exempt, so that actually harms a bit of its um, value. But I also use an HSA. You can only select this if you have an HDHP, a high deductible health plan, which means that you need to hit like a really high, you know, several thousand dollar deductible before stuff is covered. If you're healthy and you're young and you don't visit the doctor much, you know, preventative care, like visiting your annual checkup or doing testing, is typically covered uh, even under HDHP. And then you will also get money from your employer who will contribute like 500, 800, $1,000 into your account. So it's more free money and it gives you another vehicle to put money, uh, tax sheltered money into. So I, I would prioritize this above maxing out 401k, for example. So I max out my HSA, I max out my Roth IRA. Uh, I don't have matching on my 401k, but then I'll put any other money into 401k. Okay, next question was, uh, what program do you use for taxes? Does Credit Karma or TurboTax cut it or do you go to H&R Block? I personally hate TurboTax just because it's been propping up the, <laughs> the tax industry when it could be much simpler. And also Credit Karma has, is completely free uh, for both state and federal. So I've never paid for taxes. Uh, although Intuit, which owns TurboTax, purchased Credit Karma. So now there's the same company, but Credit Karma is still free. I will say that it is more manual and not as automated as TurboTax. So TurboTax has more API integrations, will like pre-fill stuff for you. So if you want it easier, you can use TurboTax. I might be getting to the point where I should <laughs> contact a CPA for assistance with filling out some forms related to backdooring and such. But until then, uh, I use credit card. I use TurboTax. Um, my family uses a CPA, but I'm too lazy to go to one. <laughs> But I do agree TurboTax is a terrible, evil company, <laughs> but I'm lazy and a millennial. So it's, uh, I feel like it's the same thing as kind of using a robo-investor. They suck, but you kind of just do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will note that there are some like free software options. If you just Google them, they, they won't likely be as, there's like certainly free filing options, but you, uh, some of them you require like a, there's like an income cutoff to qualify, but yeah. Relatively straightforward. Okay. Pros and cons of using a big name bank versus a small credit union or online only bank. So I've only interacted with credit unions for purposes of getting an auto loan for my parents when they're buying a car, just because this credit union had a particularly favorable rate for electric vehicles. Uh, so it was lower than some of the bigger banks, but then we ended up getting it matched. So I have limited credit union experience. I think that they sometimes offer more favorable rates in terms of like savings, interest, or for getting loans for auto or home purchases. International banks, I'm assuming, are much more algorithm-based. So depending on your credit score, your spending profile, et cetera, et cetera, there's not much you know tailoring. And I think credit unions also have this more in-person experience. 
well, there might also be some variation in like a tiny bit more savings at a credit union, but generally online savings accounts, assuming you don't need that in-person experience, will offer a much higher uh, interest rate for you in terms of uh, amount of money they give you for holding savings with them, just because they don't have brick and mortar stores, they don't have to pay for as much staffing and it can all be automated. So I don't use any credit unions. I have Chase, I have Bank of America, I have like a Discover credit card, but Chase is my main one. And then I'll use Schwab for uh, a checking account just because they have no ATM withdrawal fees. Any thoughts on anything to add yeah, on, I think, on this topic? Um, online savings accounts and online banks do give the best rates. I personally just use Chase right now um, because I've kind of just followed in my family's footsteps and they were the local bank there. <laughs> um, but personally for me, again, I'm not a huge fan of savings accounts right now. Maybe once saving, savings accounts are more popular with higher interest rates, I would move more of my money back into it. But for now, most of my money is in um, taxable accounts. So yeah, that's just something to consider. Yep. And again, depends. If you're saving for a house and you don't want to risk, you know, losing down payment money, you could put it, you could put it, keep it in savings. You could put it in bonds, which are a little bit more risky. Uh, you could even use a CD if you know that you're not buying it until like for three years and then you put it on a multi-year CD. But it depends on your trade-off of interest rate versus liquidity. Okay, last question. And then we'll wrap up uh, picking credit cards. So I do a little bit of credit card churning. I won't dive into that in this episode just because we're at the end of time. But um, generally, the main question I would ask is, how likely are you to use a specific card for a specific type of payment? If you'd rather just not have to worry about the mental overhead and just use one card for everything, then there's some that give 2% cash back on everything. Uh, I personally have the Chase Sapphire Reserve for travel and dining and also for the ultimate reward point like multiplier. And then I have the Discover Chase Freedom, like the quarterly rotation ones for 5% back on certain topics and then, or sorry, certain purchase types and then I have the 3% on Bank of America, which is set for online purchases, which applies to like Amazon, PayPal, like anything spent online. And then I, I've churned a couple different credit cards just to get the points with the sign-up bonuses. Uh, we can go into a lot more detail if this is of interest. Feel free to reach out or we can potentially revisit it in the future. All right. Anything on that yeah, or anything to wrap up? Turn. I just use the Chase suite of credit cards since if you have the Sapphire Reserve, you get 1.5 times points. So I just use um, the Chase Freedom Unlimited, the Chase Freedom I forgot, Flex, I think that's the new one, and the Chase Sapphire Reserve. And those three generally cover everything you really purchase with credit cards. Yeah, so the 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 number, the number percentage of points that you get back uh, depends on which card you use, but if you have the reserve, claiming any points uh, for travel will multiply the point effect by 1.5x, which is what we're referring to here. Okay, yeah, there's... I know there's a bunch of other topics that folks are interested in. Fund allocations, budgeting, uh, saving for specific goals, credit card churning, fire, buying a house, Roth and backdoor and mega backdoor. If you would like to hear additional episodes or if there's topics you want to cover, let us know. Otherwise, thanks for listening. I think um, it's been fun to chat about this. It's a, a critical topic to learn about and we need to... <laughs> We need to fill gaps in knowledge when traditional educational yep. systems are Especially, failed. Especially, right. um, yeah, if this podcast thing progresses, we can always talk about like degenerate methods of 
making money, like options or things like that. But we can save that for another time. <laughs> yep. John is a, an avid and has been a long time Wall Street Bets follower. So if you have questions about the next meme stock, he's your guy. Hey everyone, Patrick here. Just a quick correction that HSAs actually have a contribution limit of 3600 this year, not 5500 as mentioned. And sorry for the poor audio on my end. I'll record out of a better device next time. Thanks again for listening, and let us know what you'd like to hear next.